My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let's face it. The coronavirus turns out to be just too easy to catch. You can't go anywhere without touching a surface that might be contaminated by it. You can't stop touching your face because you touch it a thousand times a day without thinking about it. Let's say you touch a surface you shouldn't or mistakenly put your hand out for a handshake or there's a sneeze somewhere. There's a good chance you'll get sick and there's nothing stopping it. No vaccine, nothing. Or at least that's how it feels right now. Yet the inevitability of this outbreak is really starting to sink in with the American people. So what does the Fed do? It it gives us a rate cut, a 50 base point rate cut. Reaction? Well, a brief blip up because we're all triggered. You know, hey, conditioned rate cut. And then it was followed by a resounding thud. Ultimately, the Dow fell 786 points. It was down even more than that. S&P plummeted 2.81%, and the Nasdaq nosedived 2.99%. A lot of damage there. So why did we get mashed like this? Because a rate cut is not responsive. It does next to nothing to deal with the illnesses, cancellations, and economic fallout from this epidemic. And I'm beginning to feel... Just in what the conferences that have just been canceled and the emails I get and the notes from different companies, that this is a complete shutdown. We're all going to hide? See, the problem here is that we have a public health crisis that could do real damage to vast swaths of the economy. A rate cut doesn't change that. It's not a cure. It's not a better ventilator or a hazmat suit or a respirator. It, it can't sterilize services. It does absolutely nothing to impact the spread of the virus. So who cares? Well, Fed Chief Jay Powell told us we should. He said it could somehow boost business confidence. Hey, buddy, uh, business confidence, not the problem here. The thing is, I did care about this rate cut. I cared about how wrong it was. When the market flew up on the news, I was incredulous. I was wondering what happened. I said it was totally a sign of panic from the Fed. And a sign that this epidemic is going to be very bad for our economy. Or else they wouldn't have done an emergency rate cut, let alone an emergency 50 basis point rate cut, double what it had to be. You think Jay Powell would slash rates like this if he weren't terrified of a big spike in unemployment? Oh, and how bizarre is it to hear that business is strong in the same few minutes of announcing a gigantic rate cut? Sure, sure. Now, listen, I say this to someone who's been adamant that easy money is a good thing. I am probably the biggest single proponent of lower interest rates on the entire spectrum of TV, Internet, anywhere. In 2007, I led the charge for the Fed to cut rates. That's when I screamed they know nothing. They know nothing. They know nothing. They know nothing. About real business. And the banks are in real trouble. In response, they literally laughed at me at the next Fed meeting. It's in the minutes. In the minutes that I wanted rate cuts. Then in 2018, I castigated Jay Powell. I've known for a long time. I liked the guy. I castigated him because he kept raising them when I said you got to lower them. And then, boom, it almost caused a recession. I was begging for rate cuts when he was tightening, for heaven's sake. When it comes to monetary policy, I'm a dove. I love low rates. 
So it may come as a shock when I say that I didn't want this emergency rate cut. I didn't want it because it does nothing to help end. And in the process, what does it do? It spooked the most important market there is. No, not the stock market. It spooked the bond market. When the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury dipped below 1% today, that was all she wrote for stocks, which are closely linked to the bond market right now. Remember the connection. Long-term interest rates plummet like this because of a slowdown in economic activity. There's no demand for loans. Also because there's a flight to quality. When investors buying bonds, is a safe place to hide their money because they're so darn frightened. The Fed's actions today told you that they expect a gigantic cessation of economic activity. And now I think there's going to be one, too. They may not want you to be afraid. They may have thought they were bolstering business confidence, but they did the opposite. And when you're afraid, you sell stocks. They're too risky, even the best ones with high dividends. The rally in bonds that sent their yields plunging has really spooked me. Yeah, me, and I've been around a long time. Are we actually going to get to negative rates where savers would be hurt? We don't want negative rates, for heaven's sake. I told you again and again, lower bond yields equals lower stock prices. We don't want that. We were the strongest place on earth until this thing happened. In truth, the key meeting in Washington wasn't the Fed. It was the meeting President Trump convened with the leaders of the pharmaceutical industry yesterday before the Fed. Now, I got a chance to pull up with uh, Regeneron CEO Lench Lifer. He was our first guest ever on Man Money. And, and he said that that meeting, which he attended, was a realistic assessment of the situation. He called it a gathering of optimistic people when there was no reason to be optimistic. He said that no one had anything nearly liable to work yet. And while people were hopeful about a Gilead antiviral, Mm, mm. However, Len also said that with so many brilliant people at these drug companies, there could be real surprises, like the surprises his partner, George Yankopoulos, Yankopoulos, had when he was about to get Yankopoulos, sorry, when he was able to get mice to stimulate cells that stopped the Ebola outbreak. Lynch life, Regeneron, there. You know what Len thinks we need? Not rate cuts. A Manhattan Project. That's what we need. Billions of dollars, a Manhattan Project to beat this. That's what it's called for. America's the only country that can do that because our pharmaceutical industry leaves the rest of the world in the dust. Certainly the Chinese, as we've learned. Until then, though, we remain in a precarious place where there's no vaccine and we're naked in the virus's path. It's novel. Now, I always end the show by telling you there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you. So where's the bull market? Okay. I'm true to my mantra. When rates go this low, you reignite what had been a pretty strong rally in gold, which soared today. I say reignite because you know it's been running for some time. Joe only briefly paused last Friday, Monday. I would buy gold aggressively on this rate cut, aggressively, especially as protection against whatever horrific predictions uh, made the Fed want to take such a drastic move today. I like the gold miners. You can buy Barrick Gold. I like bullion if you can find a place to put it, and that's not your backyard. And I like GLD. When you're dealing with economic chaos, gold's the ideal insurance policy for your portfolio. I've been telling you that since the show began, and I'm reiterating it right now. Buy some gold. Next bull market. After the first day of any sell-offs that are driven by the bond market like we had today, then you've got to pick up the dividend stocks with more bountiful yields. Remember the other day I mentioned Pfizer and Verizon? You know what? I also like AbbVie, ABBV, with its 5.4% yield, especially since it's about to close on its Allergan deal, which will give them a powerful new migraine drug that no one's talked about, but I know it because I'm the chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation. And I can tell you this is a wonder drug pill, and it will move the needle when that deal's done, but nobody's thinking about it because it's in the transition. 
There are a ton of drug stocks with good yields. If Bernie Sanders wins tonight, uh, primaries tonight, I expect the drug stocks to be hammered mercilessly. I think you should buy them into that weakness because i got news for you. Bernie's agenda will never pass Congress. Finally, I like the medical device stocks that have started rolling over, even though they have zero economic exposure. Wow, they're coming in. Think Dexcom for diabetes. We've got the partner Dexcom one later in the show, Livongo. I think Medtronic, man, we've loved that stock. We saw them in January and January morning. I've been waiting for it to come down. I'm not running away from it now. These ones will come back when the SP futures stop dragging down the entire market. I want to be more bullish on the super tax like the Salesforce or Splunk, both great companies. But they often rely on trade shows and traveling to close mighty deals that might not be doable in this environment. Salesforce sent out a memo last night. It's tough. They want the employees to be safe. That is what matters. Uh, but it is tough to close in deals when you're at home, even with the red hot Zoom video. Once again, it's never too late. I reiterate. To sell the stuff I dislike, travel, leisure, restaurant, anything related to those autos, they are all going to be weaker still, okay? It is not too late to sell them. Am I clear? Now, we are very oversold here. We're minus 12 in the favorite oscillator I look at. You can expect to bounce because there's only been a couple times we've ever gotten this low, and we've always bounced. Uh, and wasn't and wasn't just Friday, uh, yesterday's bounce. Uh, that will be a better time to sell the ones I just said are verboten. But they can't be kept, sadly, especially there's three managers that run the cruise ships, and they are all spectacular. And cruises are fun, but their stocks don't make sense here. Bottom line, I know I'm early, but you can't wait until the selling ends before you start building a position in this. You have to buy them into the teeth of the sell-off, as we did for my travel trust today, which you can jo- which follow by joining the ActionListPlus.com club. You're not going to nail the bottom, which is being caused by the illness, right? But there are opportunities here and otherwise, just a lot of stocks to sell. Jonathan, California, Jonathan. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, I've, been a, I've been a fan since 2005, so first, thanks for always being willing to stick your neck out and give us your honest, informed opinion. Uh, I've, been, I've been an investor in American Airlines since it was U.S. Air in 2013. Right. For a while, it was a great investment, prone to volatility, but always ready to rebound after events like Ebola and Brexit, mm-hmm. which gave me chances to increase my position size. However, since I missed selling the top in January of 2018, it's been a nightmare. Yes. I was recently seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with their cash flow and debt reduction plans and other revenue initiatives that seemed close to bearing fruit. But now the virus has truly vaporized all of that optimism. I didn't sell any on the way down, and I still believe in the company. But selling and taking a substantial loss here feels like a wrong move. Eventually, we will get a handle on the virus, and life will go back to normal. While the company faces a lot of near-term stress, they have a liquidity cushion and no right. imminent debt. Right. I don't mind holding for a long well, time and even yeah. adding more because more. No, Jonathan, we're not going to do it. Look, this stock's down for eight straight days. That's highly unusual. It can bounce. But we have some of the finest quality stocks just getting crushed here today. So my take is, is that um, America's not going to do well. And I can't move away from that. I know that I got it. Look, I, I just don't think that we have anything to stop this thing. And there's a lot of stocks involved with travel and leisure that are going to fall you more than they have already. Right, you can buy these stocks into the teeth of the seller. These are very few. There are not many of these, but they can work. Oh, man, money tonight. Chevron showed off its war chest by pledging $80 billion in returns. But as oil and gas companies face a reckoning when it comes to climate change, 
Is it enough to change the stock's trajectory? I'm talking with the CEO. Then, after the market's wild swing today, I'm putting emotions to the side and falling back on the technicals to see what, how we should approach the situation. And if there's so much up and down action, instead of trying to game the market, I'm eyeing a high-quality company that could head higher when the averages find their footing. Don't miss my exclusive with a company I've liked since it came public, and it has nothing to do or will be not brought down by Corona. I'm talking Livongo. Stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Dow plunged nearly 800 points today despite the Fed cutting rates, and many stocks in the oil space have been bearing the brunt of the recent volatility. On the last day of January, after Exxon and Chevron both reported solid results and their stocks still got clobbered, I said something controversial. I told you I was done with the fossil fuel stocks. Like Larry David's friend in the most recent Curb Your Enthusiasm, I couldn't take the disappointment anymore. To Wall Street suddenly growing a conscience about the environment and the price of crude continuing to get hammered, that's been a pretty darn good call. I am still leery of the oil patch, and I sense a budding move toward endowment divestment. But in this big but, I am always willing to listen to the other side of the story when someone disagrees with one of my theses. Earlier today, we had a chance to check in with Mike Worth. He's the chairman and CEO of Chevron for his big analyst day event in New York City. Take a look. All right, Mike, you got to explain something to me. Best balance sheet, best dividend policy, best growth, best total return, and yet your stock is having a problem. If you were in any other industry, Mike, I would say that you'd be one of the best performers. Explain what's going on. Well, right now, I think the psychology of the market has been a challenge in the short term because of the coronavirus. Longer term, I think there's been questions about energy transition, which we welcome. We welcome the future. We intend to be a big player in the future. We're taking care of all the right things, uh, and we're built for an environment like this with uncertainty. Now, uh, when I look at uh, your buyback, for instance, I say, uh, what are they doing buying back so much stock? Don't they understand it doesn't matter that these portfolio managers don't care? I look at the dividend. Wait, do people not trust the dividend with all that cash flow? You paid it all last year and you still finished with a better balance sheet. Last year, we were the only company in our industry for the last two years, as a matter of fact, to raise our dividend, fund our capital program, buy back shares, grow production and reduce debt. Our future is strong and we're delivering for investors and I believe investors will see that and um, and will be rewarded. Mike, but when? Since 2014, uh, because of your great dividend you had some return, but frankly it's it's minus one percent, best in the industry. But it's when people do not want to own oils. Well, in 2014, oil prices were over $100, Jim, and today today oil prices are below $50. So we've seen a dramatic uh, drop in the price of the commodity. We've reset our cost structure, and today we're telling investors about further improvements we'll make in our cost structure, our margin capture, and our returns. And over the next five years, we intend to double free cash flow per share, which gives us the capacity to fund $75 to $80 billion dollars in share distrib- shareholder distributions over just five years, that's nearly half of our market capitalization. 
back to shareholders over just five years. All right, so let's posit this. Uh, is it possible that there is a, what I call an ETFization, that oil, oil stocks trade the same even though some have superior uh, characteristics to others? I think the, the market is uh, discerning. And the, the ETF phenomenon has certainly changed investing, active investing, over the last decade or so. Uh, but we're meeting with investors today who do make choices, and I do talk to people that understand the difference. And over time, I still think the fundamentals and quality will, will show through. Why not wait with a buyback and see who goes under? Look, there's a company that bought an asset that you actually competed for. I look at that balance sheet. It's stretched. Yet it's still regarded as one of the better balance sheets. I'm talking about Oxy. Why not keep your powder dry and be able to buy a lot of companies that you and I both know are going to be in Chapter 11? Well, we've got the strongest balance sheet in the industry, and we're buying back shares. So we've got the cash-generating capacity to do both. When I talk to investors about share buybacks, they say we don't like them because we think companies only buy back when the price is high, when you're doing well. We've committed to buy back through the cycle. We're certainly in a down cycle now. We intend to see that through because we've got the, the, the best financial capacity in the industry. We've got a low dividend break even, strong balance sheet, and strong cash flow coming out of our portfolio. Right, let's talk about ESG. When I look at flaring, which to me is the single worst thing that oil companies do in terms of the environment, you're unbelievably good. You flare less than all the majors. No credit for it. Again, I don't understand. Well, we, we care about the environment. Uh, in fact, today we're telling investors a lot about what we're doing on ESG, and not just on climate, on water, on governance, on a society and the communities where we operate. Uh, but we've always operated this way. This is part of the ethos of our company, and we've, we, we provide reliable, affordable, and ever cleaner energy in a responsible way to a world that needs more and more of it. How about sequestration? Why not put money into it? Well, we, we have. We've put over a billion dollars into it. The largest carbon capture and sequestration project in the history of the planet is in Australia. And we built it. We operate it. We're sequestering here, 4 million I tons I know a year. it is big. I know, but how about here? How about visibility? How about going on exchange and buying credits? How about planting, as Mark Benny, often you know well, how about planting 100 million trees? Pie, pie in the sky? Ah, trees are good. Everybody loves trees. <laughs> Trees are good for the environment. And look, we're, we're doing things across the board. We're investing in companies that are developing new technologies that can change the game on these things. Direct air carbon capture, the air in this room to reduce CO2. So we're, we're investing in technologies, all of which over time are going to be part of the solution. Do you think younger investors would ever own a oil company or is it the new tobacco? No, it's not the new tobacco, Jim. There's, there, there's big differences. Demand for our product is growing. The U.S. energy so economy small. has never been, the U.S. energy economy and jobs have never been bigger. The trade impact has ever better. It touches every aspect of life. And we're part of today's energy system, and we welcome the energy system of the future, which will be a lower in, carbon system, and we'll be part of it. In that. 1978, Jimmy Carter said the same thing about coal, and it turned out to be a wasting asset. How do we know that oil isn't a wasting asset? Look, the, the demand for energy is growing. The demand for all types of energy is growing. The demand for coal has not actually gone down. The demand for coal is still globally as large as it's, as it's ever as large as it's ever been. But, look, I, again, I struggle. Best balance sheet, best dividend, best everything. And yet, I still don't know. I recommended Chevron for years, Mike. I haven't recommended Chevron for 30 years. I stopped. And I stopped because I felt I couldn't make any money for people. Because I felt that the tide has turned. Not because you're not doing a great job. You've done a remarkable job. But the industry just... It, it, the money managers won't buy it. 
Look, we're, we're, we're investing in uh, reducing the carbon footprint of our own business. We're bringing renewables into our business. We will later this year feed biofuels into a, our refinery at our FCC, the first company to ever do that. Renewable natural gas with dairy farmers in California. And we're investing in technology to change the equation. I think investors will see all of these things as we become a part of the energy future that's a lower carbon future. How about making a pledge that says this is what we must do as oil companies with flaring? I've looked at the chart. You've looked at the chart. There are companies that are flaring, major companies, Mike, that I know you would never stand for. How do you, in an industry that has got the blessing of anything goes from an EPA and a president, how can you establish a standard that is so much better than what the industry currently has? Well, I think the whole industry needs to address flaring and methane emissions, and we work within the industry. And I see serious companies making you real do? efforts to, to reduce flying. Absolutely. Now, uh, how about just, you mentioned demand. How about on the supply side? Can OPEC help? There's a meeting coming up. Or is it just doesn't matter? Because as soon as OPEC uh, tightens, the next thing that happens is the Permian goes nuts again. Well, I think OPEC has uh, actually had a lot of uh, success in recent years. Right. OPEC okay. plus uh, other countries. And we'll see how the meeting goes this week. Clearly, demand is off uh, with concerns uh, about the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what comes out of the meeting. There seems to be a lot of optimistic talk that we're hearing this week uh, okay. about further cuts. All right, let's talk about some things that are going with you. Free cash flow, J.P. Morgan says, fell a little short. Your CFO agreed with it for the last quarter. Uh, you've had some gigantic write-downs. The write-down in Marcellus was very difficult. Atlas turned out to me maybe somebody got had there, so to speak. Uh, some very big overruns and some mega projects. In the end, you work in a business where it's hard to predict given the fact that you have some misses as well as hits. Well, so we've made uh, choices on capital. Right. And the Marcellus uh, decision really was a decision to no longer fund that uh, dry gas development in the U.S. because we have better choices within our okay. portfolio. So capital discipline is something that we are very committed to. And that means you don't invest in everything that you have in your portfolio. Okay. You only invest in the strongest return Permian. opportunities. And, uh, and Permian certainly is one of those. And, uh, and dry gas in the Marcellus simply doesn't work for us, as well as other things that we've already captured. Now, what are you going to do about the fact that the long curve just really did drop, that finally we're now looking at 48 out of five years? I mean, when I look at 48 out of five years, I say, why should I buy Chevron if it looks like the futures tell me that there's no increase over time? Well, look, what, what we're committing to, to our shareholders today, is that at flat nominal prices, not even inflation up, we will double free cash flow per share over the next five years. We'll have the capacity to return 75 to $80 billion to shareholders through both share repurchases and dividend increases, averaging between 5 and 9% over that period of time, on top of a dividend that's yielding over 5% right now. We're built for a low-price environment. We'll deliver to investors in a low-price environment. Okay, well, you may not want to hear this, but I say, if you want to own an oil company, of which I say it's too hard right now, I know you want to buy Chevron because it has all those great characteristics, and it cares about ESG, but maybe you just think you can't lower the footprint because you're a carbon producer. Well, I think investors can count on us in the short term and in the long term all to right. do the right thing. Mike, we're the chairman and CEO of Chevron. Thank you so much, Mike. Jim, thank, thank you. you. All right, what's next for this incredibly ridiculous volatile market that's driving everybody crazy? When Wall Street gets emotional, you know what you do? 
We, uh, we need to try as hard as we can to put our emotions to the side, make some logical decisions. That's why I like to fall back on the technicals in times of turmoil, because they give us a more quantitative, more empirical, less emotional approach. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Baroden. She's that brilliant technician who runs the FibonacciQueen.com website. Also, obviously, my colleague at RealMoney.com, where I blog, to get a read on this topsy-turvy market. Now, the last time we spoke to Broden early February, she warned us that the S&P 500 might be vulnerable to a major correction. She told us that we could have a bit more upside, maybe two or three percentage points. But after that, she expected turmoil. And turmoil is exactly what we got. I bring this up because Broden also told us to watch this one for one very specific thing. Now, take a look at this daily chart of the S&P, okay, uh, 500. Now, you see the blue. Blue is the five-day. The red is the 13-day. See the blue and the red lines? The blue line is the five-day exponential moving average. The red line is the 13-day exponential moving average. Broden's always looking for crossovers here. When the five-day goes above the 13-day, she likes to use that as a buy trigger. If it means you've got momentum on your side, when the five-day goes below the 13-day, the momentum's against you, and it often is a signal you should sell. Does the trigger always work? Of course not. But she says it's helpful a pretty high percentage of the time, and when it's right, it is really right. So on Monday of last week, the five-day crossed below the 13-day. And if you were watching these exponential moving averages like we told you to, you, you wanted to get, you should have gotten out. Right there, just like she said. You wouldn't have sidestepped the whole correction if you saw it on Tuesday morning, but you could avoid a lot of pain. The S&P is down about 7% since then. That's a, you want to miss kinds, those kinds of pain, even after yesterday's huge bounce. Oh, and we're down nearly 9% since she told us to be aware of a major, of a big sell-off a month ago. So, well, the reason I go to her is that, you know, she predicted we would have this rally, and then she predicted we'd have this sell-off. I think that's pretty fabulous work. In other words, she nailed it. So what does she see at me next? All right, now check out the daily chart of S&P, the S&P with all Broden's Fibonacci goodness. As the market was getting hammered last week, Broden wanted to know when the decline would end. This is where her Fibonacci methodology comes into play. She measures the scale and the duration of past swings in a given security. Then she runs them through the filter of Fibonacci ratios. That's a key series of numbers discovered by the medieval godfather of math, Leonardo Fibonacci. And that gives her a set of levels and dates where a trend is likely to reverse itself. It's the dates we're concerned with right now. Broden started calling for a bounce on Friday because of these Fibonacci time cycles. And sure enough, the market started showing signs of life on Friday afternoon before exploding higher yesterday. Although we've now repealed a decent chunk of that uh, of, of the, the game we just had. So what's next? If yesterday's lows hold, can the S&P resume its long-term uptrend? Broden says it's a possibility. And if that really was the bottom, then the S&P could eventually work its way all the way back to 3,539. However, she says there's one scenario. She also thinks you need to be on alert to the very real possibility of continued breakdown. As we saw today, the Fed's pushing on a string with a double rate cut. You can't cure the coronavirus with lower interest rates. As long as this outbreak keeps spreading, it's going to weigh on the market because the economic impact could be severe. So Broden's not convinced that the average is bottomed here. Remember, the five-day exponential moving average is still below the 13-day, which tells her it's time to sell. Plus, the S&P is now well below its 50-day simple moving average, and, and uh, we're falling through every meaningful floor support that we had. If we end up retesting Friday's lows, Broden's not sure they will hold. So we have a mixed case. It's one of those. I typically don't like this kind of situation. I like them when they're clear. Uh, on the other hand, if that low does hold, then the upside could be enormous. But if you want to make a bet, uh, Broden says you need to be ready to bail if the trade starts going against you. So what you'll see from that is if it does go through, there'll be a lot of people who suddenly just sell. 
Okay, so there's going to be a whoosh down if that level doesn't hold. All right, well, let's put this in context. I want you to take a look at the daily chart of the most the largest company on earth, Apple. Uh, now, when Apple put on a, a bottom on Friday, you had a cluster of Fibonacci relationships pointing out that a pivotal low might be in the works. Broden's methodology predicted that there would be a powerful floor support around $256. Well, where did Apple bottom? $256. You also had a bunch of timing cycles pointing to the possibility of a rebound on Thursday or Friday. Well, sure enough, yesterday Apple exploded higher, and while it gave back some of those gains, it still up more than 30 bucks from its lows just a few days ago. Now, Apple has a ceiling of resistance at 312, but if it can hear, clear that hurdle, she, she's going to 347. Of course, if the floor doesn't hold or if it fails to clear that ceiling, well, you're looking at a much more bearish story. Bottom line, the charts interpreted by Carolyn Baroden suggest that some stocks might be safer to pick at here, like Apple, but that the broader S&P 500 might not be out of the woods yet. As we saw today, yesterday's huge bounce could prove to be a tad ephemeral. Xander in Washington. Xander. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm looking to add AMD to my portfolio. Uh, with today's big spike and sell-off, would you recommend hopping on the AMD train sometime this week? Um, I am, at this very moment, a little more uh, conservative. I happen to like AMD, so you can say, well, Jim, what are you back with from AMD? I'm backing away from a lot of stocks that have economic cyclicality. Uh, even a company as fine as AMD might have some, and I just think you're going to get it at lower levels. I'm not saying it's uh, a bad company. I like it. I'm not telling you to sell it. I'm just saying if you had a new position you wanted to start, I don't know whether this is the time because the cyclical stocks are doing terribly, but AMD is a real good company. Now, in a volatile tape, it's important to put emotions to the side. The chart suggests that there's some stocks that could be safe to pick at, like Apple, but the broader S&P, not out of the woods. Much more made money at. It's been tough to navigate the market's recent turmoil, but could it yield a buying opportunity in a really cool company called Livongo that has no economic cyclicality? I've got the exclusive after the earnings. Then, between $100 million and rate cut, I choose the money. I'll explain why. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We are trying to make sense of things for you here tonight in the face of this incredibly difficult but panicky tape. I like to buy hysteria, not sell it. I like to buy panic, not sell it. We don't advocate panic because it's not a strategy. There are two kinds of companies in the blast zone. The ones that are at risk and the ones that are really at risk. What bounces best? That's what you must be thinking about at this point. What a day. We have your back and we'll get through this together. The Dow swing more than 1,300 points in one day. And what do you do? What do you do with a company that had the misfortune of reporting a great quarter last night? I'm talking about Livongo Health, which has a personal health platform that helps people manage chronic diseases. They use smart devices to monitor your data. They show it to doctors, and they give you advice to live a healthier lifestyle. It's the kind of business that you're just, just fine in the middle of a public health crisis. Why I want to bring it to you. Yesterday after the close, Livongo reported an excellent set of numbers, higher than expected sales, surprise profit. Even better, management gave terrific guidance for both the next quarter and the full year. As a result, the stock surged in after hours, as it should have done. And this morning, it opened up nearly 5%. But then the whole market rolled over, and Livongo got hammered with it. Stock closed down $2 or 9%. That's wrong. I think it's an incredible buying opportunity here. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Glenn Tolman. He's the founder and executive chairman of Livongo Health. He had a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Tolman, welcome back to Bad Buddy. 
Well, it's great to be here. All right. I've known Glenn since the show began. So, Glenn, I'm going to start with a very simple question. In an era where we have to see tremendous people trying to solve a terrible epidemic, I say Livongo has nothing to do with it. It doesn't. Look, Livongo has established itself as the leading clinical digital health solution for about 147 million Americans who are struggling with chronic conditions. Now, those folks are going to have to be particularly careful of coronavirus and everything else. But at the end of the day, it has no material impact on us. Right. I mean, you have 94 percent retention, which tells me that regardless of how low the economy goes, and you and I both think it could because of corona, these are people who obviously like the product. They're not switching. Our clients love us. Our members actually love us. Our net promoter scores in the mid-60s. We're able to demonstrate we keep them healthier. And most important for our clients who are paying for the bill, and sometimes that is our members, uh, we're actually saving money. So it's a win-win across the board. And uh, that's why we see sales have been up. You know, if you look at our $170 million that we posted uh, for last year, that was actually, you know, the, the numbers have increased very dramatically, 149% year-over-year year growth. And if you look at member growth, 222,000 now, that's up 49%. So all of these metrics keep going. And, you know, if you look since we went public three quarters in a row, we not only beat the number, but we raised the number each quarter. Right. So. This is a business, and you mentioned something I wasn't going to talk about, and that is profitability. And I think what that demonstrates is the business model is fundamentally sound. Now, we've not said we're going to be profitable no, into 2021 because with an opportunity this large, um, we want to keep investing. We're hiring data scientists for our applied health signals engine. We're hiring salespeople, and we're expanding the business because now's the time to do oh, that. Oh, I totally agree with you. And I remember um, we liked you from the day you came public. You said, well, wow, look at this. Because in the sea of not great companies, and this one popped up. This is close to home, the diabetes issue for you, right? It is. My youngest son, Sam, was diagnosed when he was eight with type 1 diabetes, and my mother had type 2. So I was surrounded by this thing called diabetes, And I was astounded how hard we made it for people with chronic conditions, not just diabetes, but now Livongo is focused on hypertension, on weight management, on behavioral health. We made it hard for them to stay healthy. And Livongo is all about how do we meet our members where they are, make it easier for them to stay healthy. It just makes sense. That's what we're about. One of our favorite companies, Dexcom, is a partner of yours in what looks to be a very good deal for both. I saw you talk to Kevin recently. Yeah, we like Kevin so much. Look, Dexcom is the leader in CGM, full stop. We're the leader in applied health signals. If you put those two together, you get something very powerful. And what it results in is for our members, we're getting better information. You know, we have 500 million health signals. We're using those. We put them through our engine. And we get better insights and better guidance. An artificial intelligence engine, people should know. Exactly. Right. And that's a, it's better insights and better nudges to keep people healthy. And ultimately, and then we pair that with our 24 by 7 care, and it creates a better experience. So it's a win-win. Great partnership. You, I'm the chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, another recurring disease. Do you have anything in the works for people who have migraine? Because, boy, there's 30 million, and they need help. Yeah, we don't today. 
Um, sorry about that. But, you know, we you are looking right. across the board. I mean, one of the challenges we have is the markets we're focused on today. If that's all we ever did, people ask about, are you going international? Right. We're getting tremendous interest internationally. People say, are you going to new markets? Are you doing acquisitions? Look, we're not ruling out any of that, okay. but our fundamental market, the growth in that market is so strong that wow. we're going to make sure we have that tied up before we do anything else. One last question. March 11th is a, uh, a lockup for $45 million. There might be a secondary. I don't want people to get too excited after listening to you and say, wow, maybe a better time to buy is March 11th. We don't mm-hmm. know. Right. Well, we had, one, we had one lockup release, so to speak, and we did it. You know, an early secondary right. because we wanted to make sure that that stock, whoever wanted to sell, um, that we actually placed it with long term holders. Okay. Interestingly, we didn't have a lot of interest. And if you look at a lot of that release, interested our biggest sellers, holders, sellers. interested sellers, thank you. But our biggest holders, folks like General Catalyst and Shinovec, you know, what they've made is a long term bet. They aren't going anywhere. Our management team. You know, we're restricted on what we can sell. Right. So we're in this for the long term. I think it makes sense to be. We like this literally from the get go. Uh, tumultuous time. This is the kind of stock that you will be able to say, you know, what? I can buy more of it because even though something not so great happened with Corona, it has nothing to do with this. And that's Glenn Tolman, season hand, founder and executive chairman of Livongo Health. They have money's back after the And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Skiing? The lighting round comes around. I'm start with Samson in Florida. Samson. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Considering the very stable dividends, would you buy, sell, or hold EPD? Uh, I can hold it, but I've got to tell you, I don't like that group one bit. It's been really terrible. There's a lot of competition coming in there, and those stocks are bad. I'm talking about the mass limit partnerships. Brianna in Rhode Island. Brianna. Booyah, Jim. How are you, Thanks Brianna? For making this the best birthday ever. I appreciate you taking my call. My pleasure. My question is about Amarin. Uh, they've been pretty bearish for a while now, even before Corona. Yeah, somebody didn't like the way their new drug, the, kind of the statin, uh, well, I, they should come on. Because, I, I don't know, I thought it was pretty good. And I'm not going to back away. I, I like it here. Let's go to Chris in New York. Chris. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Chris from Garden City, New York. Shout out to Marriage College and Breakfast Club. Go Red Foxes. Jim, you're crushing it, and I want to hear your take on Global Blood Therapeutics. Well, I mean, they do a lot of very interesting blood work, including sickle cell. Now, we don't know that's a very hard disease and very painful, but I like companies that are focused on particular uh, cancers and dangers within blood. That's why I like Celgene for so long. So I'm, I'm giving it my blessing. Let's go to Nathan in Colorado. Nathan! Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? Doing pretty good. Hopefully you got some good news for me today. I'm calling about a stock that I'm invested in. Stock that 85% of its game is in materials and 15% is in aerospace. Calling about BLL Ball. I like that. There's been consolidation in that industry and the uh, and the gas industry. That's the uh, uh, companies that like the old uh, air products. And, and these two industries have merged and merged and merged, and that's made it so there's a lot of big profit margins. I like Bullcorp. Let's go to Ashley in New York. Ashley. 
mall-based business because no one wants to go to places where people tend to gather. Nordstrom, bad number, without even the virus. So we need a prize and some tied-over loans. These are both very important and realistic things that are not something that the Fed's going to do. So let's hope somebody in Washington is listening to this show because using rate cuts just aren't going to be enough. We are trying to make sense of things for you here tonight in the face of this incredibly difficult but panicky tape. I like to buy hysteria, not sell it. I like to buy panic, not sell it. We don't advocate panic because it's not a strategy. There are two kinds of companies in the blast zone. The ones that are at risk and the ones that are really at risk. What bounces best? That's what you must be thinking about at this point. What a day. We have your back and we'll get through this together. Remember, we like gold. We like some of the higher yielders. I think those can work. Medical device can work. But I'll tell you what's not working is retail. Holy cow, Nordstrom, after the close, reported a not great number at all. Not good guidance either. Kohl's, by the way, had a decent number, and it still got hit. This market is very tough on retail. So I'm urging you not to be a hero yet. I will tell you. I will tell you when it's okay to buy retail. And it's not yet. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll defend it just for you. Right here on Mad Money, I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CBC Special Report, Markets in Tomorrow, starts now.